Good morning, everyone. I hope you're feeling well this morning. Uh, feeling more rested, uh, perhaps. Uh, each day, often, it, each day is different, but um, uh, certainly uh, people often find that kind of moving past the midpoint of the retreat, there's a kind of a shift. and. Um, maybe more uh, ease. So I hope that's, that's true for you. Um, well, whatever's happening is good. <laughs> I guess it's what's happening. So um, I'd like to speak this morning a little bit more about uh, Vipassana practice. Um, so insight uh, or seeing deeply into the nature uh, or the seeing that liberates, the kind of seeing that liberates, um, and uh, and link it more to working with the hindrances, which I only had just uh, you know barely time to touch on. In the, in the practice of insight meditation, um, which is to repeat uh, a, um, an important point and, uh, to remember is, um, is very intertwined with the practice of steadying and stabilizing, collecting and unifying the mind that happens in the samatha practice. Uh, in the practice of insight meditation, um, we're uh, kind of what's pointed to in the discourses for us to begin to see in our own experience. Um, so not just understand intellectually, but directly experience in our meditation practice and in our mindful living it is that everything that we can experience through the sense doors through seeing hearing smelling tasting touching and in uh, in Buddhism the conceptual mind is also uh, understood as one of the sense doors so so six senses uh, so everything that we experience through the sense doors is characterized by um, three particularities, particular characteristics. Uh, so the first of these, and they're all kind of interrelated. So we, you know, when we look at one, we're we're looking at all of them. Um, but so the first and perhaps easiest for most people to, to connect with is impermanence. And so, so we see impermanence um, through the senses of the body. Um, we, we notice that sensations change. 
of course, we notice as we sense the world around us that that there's change in the phenomenal world. We, um, you know, this morning the sky was red with the sunrise, uh, and uh, and and now, you know, it's it's full daylight. So just those kinds of changes uh, are obvious, and everyone can see those. We also look more deeply into sensations in the body, and we can notice the flow of sensation as we are um, just feeling uh, the energy in the body, the tingling in the body. We may notice that, um, that if there's a place of soreness in the body, uh, that if we bring attention to it, bring mindful attention to it without contracting around it, that, that it's, it's not a kind of solid and enduring thing, it has a dynamic. Um, and so we begin to see that, that everything's in flux, everything's in flux. So. Uh, on the sensation level, sensation, uh, body sensation level. And, and we also look at the phenomena of the mind and we experience the mind in the body. We experience feelings in the body. Um, we experience, um, you know, our thoughts and our bodies are connected. If we if we think of something and, and an emotion arises, we feel it in the body. So, so um, we can notice that, that um, <coughs> these mental phenomena experienced in the mind and in the body are also uh, impermanent and they're, they're always arising and passing away. So, another, the second of these three characteristics is uh, the word dukkha. And dukkha often remains untranslated because it, it refers to such a, a wide range of experience of, um, of unsatisfactoriness, of of to suffering, uh, so so the the what dukkha the word dukkha is pointing to is the reality that whatever we um, we experience through the senses can't uh, in any enduring way in any ultimate way uh, give us the happiness and the peace and the sense of well-being that we seek. And this, and all beings seek to be happy, contented, to have a sense of uh, well-being. It's, it's, it's innate, it's natural. When we look for food, when the squirrel is collecting food to bring to its nest, uh, it's, it's seeking to sustain itself. It's seeking to be, to be well. Um, when, when, um, when we seek uh, 
different kinds of um, activities in our lives that we enjoy. We're looking for, we're looking for a sense of well-being. Um, however we might describe that. And, and what the Buddha points to in the, te- in the insight teachings is that although we might find some, some pleasant and <coughs> experience, we might, we might find some happiness, uh, it's, it's going to be momentary, that we can't rely on conditions which are themselves changing. Both inner conditions and outer conditions are themselves, are, are all changing. And so if we're relying on um, changing conditions to fulfill our perhaps changing sense of what we want to satisfy us, that we're always going to be frustrated. Uh, We're always going to be discontent. We're always going to be looking for more or different. And so, so um, the teachings kind of encourage us to stop looking in the wrong place for happiness. Um, and I talked about that a little bit yesterday about, you know, set in, when I was talking about uh, cravings for sense pleasures, you know, that uh, they last, you know, just you just get a little bit of hit, a little hit of pleasure, and then, you know, it's gone. Um, that, you know, uh, that new car smell, you know, that people talk about. So it doesn't last very long. Um, so, so, um, so that's the second. Is uh, and I'm just I'm just going to continue to use the word the the Pali word dukkha to refer to that because because it. It can, it can refer to many different experiences. It can refer to loss, the loss of someone we love through death or through separation. Um, it can refer to, uh, you know, which can be very, can feel very profound, very deep, um, and, uh, and can take a process uh, to, to come to uh, terms with if you know if if we don't deeply understand that lost loss is part of life and um, and so it can refer on you know to one end you know to 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 hearing that you know we have cancer um, and uh, and and that that is going to mean uh, a, a big change in our lives and um, and and it it also refers to coming to deeply understand and accept the reality of death. So all of this is dukkha, and then on the other hand, uh, dukkha can be um, you know burning our toast <laughs> in the morning, you know, and. Uh, 
and the you know the irritation that can arise from from uh, you know having to scrape your toast. So, so from mild irritation to deep sense of loss, um, all dukkha. Discomforts in the body, dukkha. So, so dukkha arising a lot, and and dukkha also is impermanent. It comes and goes, but but it, uh, you know, and not everything is dukkha. If, for example, if if we cling to something that's pleasant. You know, as in clinging to sense desires, then that creates dukkha. But if if we just enjoy what is pleasant, and and deeply understand that we can't cling to it, it comes and goes, then pleasant experiences can come and go without dukkha. So, so anicca impermanence, anicca is the Pali word, I don't know if I said it, dukkha, and then the third aspect uh, of those three characteristics is um, the Pali word anatta, not self, no self. This, this, this can be uh, a little bit harder for, for people to understand, um, because our common sense understanding is that I'm a self and, and, uh, and everything in the phenomenal world has a kind of self-identity. This bowl has, you know, a self-existence and, um, and this building and, you know, everyone around us. And, um, and so not, what not-self points to is, is the dependent arising of, of all phenomena, that everything, uh, the one teacher put, put it in a way um, that everything leans. Nothing stands up on its own. Everything is leaning on other things. So, so we can look at the body and we can see that although it seems to be um, kind of a separate entity it you know we can stand up we can walk around we can go wherever our mind directs us to go um, if we look more deeply we see that every moment we're breathing and so this you know, we really are earth creatures. We really are. We do need this atmosphere. Just, you know, just as trees need the atmosphere, we need this atmosphere to live. Um, we, we really are the water, you know, that we see in the river. Uh, we're continually, you know, picking up our water bottles and, and, and the food also uh, that we eat contains water and our bodies are... 70 or 80 percent water. Um, we are the food that we eat. Our bones are 
of the same stuff as seashells, uh, the calcium, the potassium, the trace minerals that had their origin in the um, in in the death of stars when they uh, stars um, uh, go into what's that word where when stars die and implode and Supernova. supernovas yeah so supernovas spread all these trace minerals through the universe and our bodies require them and so so our bodies are made of literally of stardust so so we have a <coughs> a dependent or an interdependent um, existence it's not a self-existence we exist as an in, in, integral part of a whole web of life and so um, and so this is not only true of the, our physical bodies, but of our minds as well. Our perceptions, I, I alluded to this, um, I think on Thursday, talking about how perceptions are formed. Um, so, so perceptions are formed, you know, from the very moment that we're born, perceptions begin to be formed. They're formed by language. They're formed by, in fact, language and perceptions are very connected, and and how we how we language our experience, how we shape into words our experience affects how we see them, and so so the Pali language has subtleties uh, of for different kinds of mental states that the English language and most languages just don't have and um, uh, and how we perceive uh, in French how we perceive people who are bilingual um, perhaps going back and forth between French and English or between you know two other languages may recognize that somehow the words that shape experiences are different in different languages and and it shapes how we feel the experience, how, how it takes life in us. Um, and uh, and so, so language and perception, very interconnected. And, and our perceptions change. We grow up in a household, perhaps, um, just for example, you know, that has a, a perhaps a very it, more insular way of experiencing life and seeing people from different cultures as other, as different, as perhaps um, not not uh, not a, as friendly, not in as friendly a way. And then maybe we leave that context, and we those perceptions are tested. Those perceptions. You know, we bump up against our own experience and say, and, and we recognize, oh, different kinds of people, you know, are not. I mean, I don't have to be afraid of different kinds of people. I can, you know, I can learn so much. I can open my mind, my heart. So, so this is an experience that uh, that often happens, especially in a world that is becoming increasingly cosmopolitan. So.
So perceptions change, and and maybe think about how, you know, how your perceptions have changed. You know, we think perceptions are true. You know that the way we perceive things are the way they are, until we get some new information, <laughs> and uh, and then and then we. Um, we may recognize that those perceptions are not so true. So this is per- our perception, our self-perception, our perception of how, what the world is. This is all part of how we are a not permanent, separate, independent self. Uh, it's not that you know, we should try to get rid of any sense that we have of of subjectivity, of 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 being um, of experience things in 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 a particular way, unique way, but but not to cling to them as being me or mine. You know, to hold them lightly. So. Um, so th- these are, as these develop in our, in our Dharma practice, our practice of the Buddha's teachings, we engage with the hindrances in a different way. We engage with craving, sense, craving for, for sense objects in a different way. Um, we we relate to our sense sensory experiences in a different way. Um, we know that, you know, we may crave to have a sense pleasure, but we deeply know that 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 is not going to really fill any sense of lack that we have within us. Uh, that it's going to be just momentary. And, and so we learn to, you know, see the craving and allow it to rise and pass away. You know, the, the anger that arises, you know, that might come like a, a geyser just erupting in our, through, it seems to just fill our whole being with heat. Um, we may, we may recognize that it's temporary, and we may also recognize that it comes from perception. That maybe, you know, we, we have a particular perception of some event, some, some person, some, something that was said, and, and that perception can change. You know, in the practice last night of... Um, when we were just engaging with what was arising in consciousness moment by moment and 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 uh, and and inviting meta to to kind of connecting with every every moment of of what was rising in awareness connecting with meta you know, maybe you experienced um, 
having somebody come into mind that you perceived as a an enemy or a a person who was difficult in your life and with just this quality of metta to to bring a friendliness to that perception it's a a perception that even though there may have been hurt even though even though there there may have been um, wounding that's not the whole story about that person that we can we can perhaps just um, open, soften uh, around our perception of that person and include a bit of compassion, a bit of a bit more friendliness, a bit more goodwill, um, perhaps acknowledging that what was done or what was said that that hurt us came from suffering, came from their wounding, came from their fear, their feeling unstable or insecure. And so so in in insight practice there is a a turning toward our experience of suffering. You know, whether it's sense sense craving or or aversion or or just this dullness, this closing down of the mind uh, that we call sloth and torpor, um, restlessness, doubt, and you know we can put other words in there, you know, envy and jealousy and and uh, self self judgment. It's a kind of aversion, you know, boredom, feeling bored, feeling this ennui in life, nothing, nothing ignites us, nothing, we don't connect with things. That's a kind of a, an aversion. Um, you know, so, so all of the different subheadings of these categories. Um, We can we can turn toward the suffering, and we can bring the, our wisdom, our investigation. So, um, so the with mindfulness comes investigation, a quality of curiosity, of interest, of wanting to to inquire more deeply into the nature of this experience and 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 bringing investigation we we can um, we can see into the anicca the 
the the flow, the the flux of what's happening in us in this moment. Um, we can see that our experience is dukkha. We can see that this craving is dukkha. We can see that this this anger is dukkha. And um, and we can also see that whatever we're experiencing is anatan. It's not self. It's not. It's not me, and it's not mine. And that's so profound. Just that contemplation of not me, not mine. Not me, not mine. Can we, you know, can we look at something that we think is mine? And can we, can we say, you know, I mean, this is simple. I'm starting with the easy stuff. Uh, this is not mine. Okay. So, yeah, I bought it. And, uh, you know, and I use it. But is it, you know, there's this, there's this kind of um, norm that, you know, we possess things. There's a convention. So conventionally, okay, this is, this is mine, you know, and if somebody were to run up front here and grab my water bottle and run away and say, hey, where are you going with my water bottle? But, but it, it's not me and it's, it's not mine. And, and we discover this in relationships. We discover this for those of us who have children. You know, we discover, oh, this child is not me. This child is its own person, their own person. And they're not, they're not mine. I can't, I can't control them. This child is emerging uh, in a way that, as a parent, I can support. We discover this with partners. We discover this with, with parents. You know, um, not me, not mine. And and we discover it even with our own body-mind continuum, psychophysical organism. You know, we can, one of the contemplations is to, just to deconstruct the body. This body is hair, this body is, is skin, this body is mucus, this body is water, this body is phlegm, this body is muscle, bone, the contents of our digestive system, and so on. It's not, it's not a self, it's not mine. It's come together under certain conditions, that, and that we call birth. And it comes apart under 
certain conditions and we call that death. And in between we think it's it's me. But that can cause suffering, clinging to the body as me and mine. And and thinking that if we grasp something to adorn the body or to put in the body or to gratify some urging of the body that it's going to give us the peace and contentment we seek is delusion. So so we work with the hindrances with wisdom. We see how they come and go. We see how they arise and pass away. We see how they come from conditions and and they they pass away when the conditions change. And they change these habits of mind that we think we're so stuck in. The addictions, the reactivities, you know, they can change. As our conditions change, as we as we bring new perceptions in our ways of responding can change and and the dharma gives us new ways of seeing new ways of perceiving the body our relationships our interactions in the world and so so the vipassana way of working with suffering, with difficult emotions, with change, is to look at how we're clinging to a sense of that this is permanent, how we're seeing what is impermanent as permanent. We think, oh, this difficult situation is just going to last forever. Whereas it actually is changing already, moment by moment, as we're in it. Even just by our (coughs) investigating it, it's changing. We're seeing what's dukkha as actually fulfilling. And that creates suffering. We're imagining that what is dukkha can actually give us some kind of enduring fulfillment. And, and where we are seeing what is not self as self. And these, when we, when we ask ourselves, how am I seeing, you know, when I, when I recognize I'm suffering here, how am I seeing this as permanent? How am I seeing this as not dukkha, or how am I seeing this as, you know, something that has a self-existence? That begins to loosen up how we're contracted around that experience. It begins to loosen up how we're gripping uh, that experience. It changes how we relate to the experience. 
whatever it is. So, um, so as we we short we we have a short sitting, <clears throat> um, and as um, whatever comes to mind, or whatever arises in the body, uh, if there are difficult experiences that arise, whether they're thoughts, emotions. Or, or body sensations. I invite you to apply this Dharma medicine, this wisdom medicine, <coughs> to experience. And um, so, so, it, so it's a, it's a it's a somewhat um, a different approach from just letting go. You know, which is also really so skillful and so wonderful to let go, come back to the breath, come back to a sense of ease in the body. That's kind of cultivating a samatha uh, way of of um, finding relief, finding um, some some uh, freedom from from our suffering, from what is difficult. And this vipassana insight approach is is what the Buddha called liberation. You know, so this this is liberating in a way that gives us a deeper wisdom, a, a, a changed perspective on our how we relate to our experience in life. So if you need to release your posture for a moment, please do that and we'll we'll have a short <coughs> sit.